0: Nine, 12. But we can discuss that later. (laughs) Service yeah. yeah, yeah. All
1: right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up.
0: Coming to you direct from our super-secret studio... Hello, this is Washington for Beautiful People on Deep State Radio. We're broadcasting from the West Left Coast today and I am beyond beyond thrilled to be joined by Tony Award winning playwright, TV show writer, producer, showrunner Warren Light. Hey Warren. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you?
1: I'm good. I'm I'm I'm, uh, I, this is a great way to procrastinate. I can't thank you enough.
0: Oh, it is my pleasure. By the way, um, something very un LA like is happening right now. It's pouring down rain. And I was just saying, every time I've taped a podcast now, it's been literally like just crazy apocalyptic Noah like rain. So it's a little bit bizarre.
1: I think they always say rain is good for podcasts. I think that rain and and weddings, those are the two things that they have. You have to I.
0: Say that. I think so too. I although I'm like terrified that if I keep talking about rain I'm gonna turn into my grandmother and then start offering people like hard sucking candies and start reading the obituaries out loud. I think I know so her. <laughs> Yeah, you probably do. If that starts happening, you need to like intervene at some point. Um, I was gonna say, Warren, you know how I know this is gonna be a great conversation?
1: No pressure, but how?
0: Um when I was doing a research, we share a birthday.
1: Is it in January,
0: it is in January.
1: It is the day of the heavyweights.
0: Did you it know is that? the very Muhammad Ali,
1: Muhammad Ali, and Michelle Obama among, and Ben Franklin and Al Capone. It's a very
0: Betty White. A lot of
1: ways you go. There's a lot of ways you can go. Yeah, Betty White. I think Neville shoot. A lot of. Uh, it's a good. Um, I, I always like it.
0: It's um, I have, one I, have. One, I have one more. I have one more that you need to add to your list. Uh, Sherry Lewis and Lamb Chop.
1: Yes, I think that's right. And Jim Carrey. Wait, Jim. there's more. <laughs>
0: there is um there's another uh, boxer.
1: There's, it's a, it's an it's an extremely it's better than guys who have like Hitler's birthday. I always feel like that's kind of there's not much you can say about that one.
0: No, you can't, but you're always better than that. You can always be like, Well, there's him and then there's me. It's I share with.
1: I think we also have Steve Harvey. Oh, we do have um, Steve Harvey. A lot. Steve Steve Harvey the uh, the great comedian. I believe, is, is, uh, is I'm part to, of our birthday.
0: It's really, uh, Benjamin Franklin I was really excited about when I was little, and I chose to do a big paper on him in, like, fourth or fifth grade, because I was like, oh, we share a birthday. And when I got it back, the teacher was like, this is great, however you spelled his name wrong. So throughout the entire page, I spelled it with a G instead of a J. And she's like, it's not Benjamin. i still convinced oh, that I'm correct. I think that can happen. That could
1: happen. I, 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 I Yeah, that's kind of, that maybe isn't the, yeah, well, she may have had a point.
0: <laughs> you know what? You got to have my back here, Warren. Come on.
1: Uh, um, uh, don't forget James Earl Jones and Murray Povich.
0: Oh, James Earl Jones! I forgot about that.
1: No, it's it's there's a, there's some there's some cred to the to, to January seventeenth.
0: Gives me a little currency. Um, so, as I mentioned, I did a little research, which is always a new thing for someone who is a theater major. I'm like, oh, taking notes. This is exciting. Um, and I saw that. Originally you had studied you wanted to do journalism or you studied to do journalism?
1: Yeah I, I, um, so I, I got I was in the wrong school at the wrong time but I, I went to Stanford I got uh, I was running away from home I think in hindsight but, <laughs> and I, I got uh, scholarship out to Stanford where journalism is called communications and um, I, I probably said well, upon graduation I must have sent out. Three hundred resumes. It was around the time all the president's men had come out, and suddenly every college in America was graduating more journalists or more people with journalism degrees than there were working journalists in America. and i it was it was an early lesson in how a lack of connections really is a barrier. i got I don't think I got a response to the three hundred resumes. and i uh, I painted houses for a while, then went back to New York, got a job writing ads for college textbooks, and started to just, send articles in over the transom and the the village voice bought one for $150. So I quit my job and started (laughs) writing. It was, it was was a simpler time.
0: I was going to say, but there's a great quote about rejection. And I think I must have posted someplace. It was said, I forgot who said it now. And I literally just saw it. It was, I love my rejections. They show that I try. And so I always like that. I'm like, ah, rejections are are good in a way. You know, you guys see that you've, you've made the effort, but 300 is pretty, it's pretty epic.
1: Well, and no one, and then uh, there were guys who, who I'd gone to college with who suddenly had jobs at the at the Daily News in New York, and I thought, but I'm from New York; those guys don't know anything about New York, and, and they can't write. And but what I didn't know, uh, uh, like little backstory, like their dad knew the publisher of the Daily News, little things like that. It was it was that helps. You know, when when you're on the outside, you think things are really rigged, and then over time, I've gotten more on the inside, and I realize they're far more rigged than I realized. You know, it's, it's um, so, the rejections build character, but they're also probably a sign that uh, the, that it's not equal opportunity necessarily.
0: it isn't, but also think about how your world would have changed had you gotten that job as opposed to oh, the no, trajectory that I, you uh, went.
1: Most of the things that went south in my career, and there's there there's uh, enough of them <laughs> eventually uh, had they not gone south, things wouldn't have gone uh, they it really did. Aside from building character or stressing me out or whatever, certain uh, there was some truth I couldn't see it at the time. But had that not failed terribly, uh, for, I'd worked on a movie for a long time. It came out and and I was uh, um, not it was not well received. So then I went back to theater writing because I thought, well, I can write a play. Nobody will care. Uh, it's, it, but they can't force me to make changes in it since it's mine. And that led to to Sideman, which was the play that sort of changed changed my life. So it's, it's there is some truth to doors have to close for others to open. But what they don't tell you is like, there can be like two years where you're just freezing in a hallway, waiting for the other door to open. That's, that's the missing part of that. But there's, I have found some truth to it. Otherwise,
0: what was the movie? I'm just curious.
1: Oh, I like it. It was a, uh, it was a romantic comedy called The Night We Never Met. Um, about every seven years of my early career, my mid career, I'd write something and people would say, well, this is it. This is the next Tootsie. I was a comedy writer in those days. It was uh, when this comes out, you're never going to have to worry again. And I, uh, that was almost immediately followed by two years of unemployment. Every time <laughs> I, so that, I do. Uh, that's sorry. how that goes.
0: Well, I also I agree with you. I think it's it's hard to have hindsight when you're getting the rejections when you know your path veers so. A horribly strange. you're like that's not what I thought I was going to be doing or that's not where I should be and then you realize that it just opens doors and it challenges you in a different way I always say like I truly never thought I would join the CIA until I was you know living at home unemployed as an actor and my parents like you need to get out of the house and that was sort of my way out but it put me on a different path which allowed me to do all these other things and it's it's true it's hard to see that in the moment when you're just utterly depressed
1: I hope that's not the classic career path for CIA agents. But
0: I like to say I have the most untraditional career path. Most people who joined the CIA have wanted to do it since, you know, they were in the womb and they came out of their mothers doing like a sniper crawl in camo. And I was working at the Funny Bone and, you know, Shecky's Ha Ha House doing really bad improv comedy, getting heckled by really lechy men. Um, but I did learn how to like heckle back, which to me is the best skill you could learn. And my parents were eager to embrace the empty nest syndrome. My mom was really into spy stuff. So she found an ad on the internet and said, if you apply, you can live at home rent free until you find out about the job. And so legitimately, that was the only reason I applied.
1: That's, a, that's hard. That just makes me have much more confidence in our government than I would otherwise have had. The, the comedy club preparation probably does prepare you to be in the worst circumstances anywhere in the world, though. So I, having, <laughs> I did stand up as well. Um, and in fact, I did stand up with Lewis Black, and he wanted to be a playwright, and I wanted to be a stand-up comic. And we were.
0: Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. I he's he's amazing. I he went love... to Yale
1: School of Drama. He went to Yale School of Drama and would often do hour-long monologues about how uh, about why his plays weren't getting done. That were <laughs> to say, those monologues were bitter.
0: <laughs> Just a tad, a little cervix. So
1: Imagine, imagine how Lou was before he was successful.
0: <laughs> My, that is a dark, dark, dark place. I had no idea that was, he wanted to be a playwright.
1: Oh, yeah. No, no. He, would, he wrote a one act, uh, I think, about Donald Trump and someone else. It was in the mid 80s, and they were eating human testicles on stage. And, it was, um, <laughs> and, and he couldn't understand why it wasn't getting done on Broadway.
0: He should try it now, it's going to be a hit. <laughs>
1: Now it would be like, yeah, 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 yeah. We already
0: know that. We'd be like, <laughs> tell us something we don't know. All right. Been there. Done that. Eating the testicles. All right. That's, um, when did you, so you go from writing ads and then, of course, because I'm a big theater nerd, I was reading all your, your theater stuff. I didn't know you did a musical. You did The Mayor with Charles Strauss? Oh, yeah,
1: I, I did. Um, so my, my first live, I started writing for live audiences. I wrote an article about comedy in New York for the village voice for $150. And, um, I met a, a an all female comedy troupe called the high heeled women. Um, uh, and uh, they were, they did it was a like cabaret act, you know, an hour, hour, re, hour long review with sketches and songs. And the songs were written by 21 year old, uh, struggling piano player, Mark Shaman.
0: Oh, geez. Uh, and, I'm dying. And, and
1: so I, and, and they hired me eventually to write, co-write their acts with them. Uh, Cause I, 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 we just hit it off. And so I started writing their acts and I got $10 an hour. Um, and, and my credit was the girls write all their own material, which was um, anytime there was a review uh, and Shaman and I, I would write lyrics for him or sketches that would go to him. And I didn't even meet him for the first year. The, they would take my sketch and go take it to him and, work with him, you know, and Mark and I have stayed in touch for 35 years now, um, but we were, and obviously he was a little more well-suited to musical theater than I was, but I stayed, because I was doing that, uh, and I was writing articles about New York, I somehow stumbled into helping adapt, which meant completely discard uh, Ed Koch's autobiography um, into a, a cabaret review, and I wrote it with Charles Annie Strauss. And that was that was a, an odd combo of me and Charles, but that was my first. That started at the Village Gate, and then it moved to um, Broadway for a brief run. And tr- uh, I had a character based. I had a Trump character in it, named Donald Trump. And he was actually named Donald Trump. Well, it was a, you know it was a parody. The whole th- so I every, I had a um, Nancy Giles, whom you may know from. Uh, yeah. MSNBC uh, and or CBS This Morning Now, these days, she played um, Trump's uh, Koch's beard, Bess Meyerson, before <laughs> Miss America. It was a weird little thing. So, and I had a uh, Koch character, and I had Trump and Leona Helmsley, who was a big realtor at the time. I and remember. then about three days ago, Trump's lawyers, or maybe it was Trump himself disguising his voice, called and David demanded.
0: David Dennison called you?
1: Yeah. And, and they demanded he be removed from the play because he's a private citizen. And, uh, um, and he wasn't, and the producers were nervous, but I'd worked at National Lampoon a bit, and I knew enough about the right to parody and libel laws, and I, and I said, oh, just give him tickets to opening night. Um, so they invited him to opening night, and he came and pretended to enjoy it, and he enjoyed it about as much as he enjoyed Obama's monologue at the National Press Dinner. <laughs> I mean,
0: so by enjoying was, not at all, he just sat there crossing his arms with a scowl, giving everybody yeah, an evil he, glare.
1: But it's not like, people didn't loathe him 30 years ago. Everybody here knew what he was, but I guess, I guess word's getting out
0: now. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, you guys were onto something with your loathing. Did, it's interesting because I was just noticing, I'm like, okay, there was still a political feel to the work that you did even then, even going from journalism to the mayor to some of, you know, obviously what you're doing now, did you always feel that? draw to include and sort of incorporate what was going on in the real world into your work.
1: I I would have was as a kid, when other people were children were doing healthy things, there was a TV show called that was the week that was, which was a weekly news parody show where they wrote sketches and songs. And if I could have done anything in my life, it would have been to have been a writer on that show. And I was just, yeah, I, I was, I was, and I did political humor. So it's always something, um, I've, I've wanted to do and occasionally gotten to do and I do these 24, the 24 hour play projects write a one act in one night and that's one of the, my, uh, like, that's my, my jazz at the moment where I just do what I want to do and almost all the time I do a, a political play for that. I was in a theater company called Naked Angels and I would, I, I, I did a game show, one act where the audience gets to choose tonight which of these two men will die. It was sort of a death penalty game show and so I've always done kind of dark, um, um, disturbing pieces that are in poor taste.
0: <laughs> it's a know. little gallows, but I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying the to think. Th- the, Did ac- re-
1: the audience actually voted. The audience actually voted who to kill.
0: I, in my head, I'm thinking, like, if that was a game show, what would the actual theme song, would it be like, Wheel of, and then what would you do? Like, we, we actually had a,
1: we had a theme. Oh, you know what? I once wrote a musical comedy a whole hour-and-a-half show. Again, I don't know why it didn't move to Broadway. It was called You Hostage, and it was a musical <laughs> comedy about a hostage-taking thing. And, we, and we Which did is right for West comedy, Warren. It's right it, for was,
0: comedy. It,
1: it was very funny, but uh, <laughs> it, it, it didn't go. But we had people lined up out the street to see it for the nine days it ran, but nobody... It was. I mean, we had a, a woman sing a, a ballad about wishing she were a hostage wife, it was Aww. it was um, it was it was very moving. We had an old mafioso um, sing about. We were busy running numbers, dealing dope. Who had time to steal an airplane or shoot the Pope? Things like that. It was it was.
0: You had nice rhyme or nice rhyme scheme. Yeah.
1: No. We we I rhymed. We rhymed regularly. Rhymed many of the lyrics. But but um,
0: which is always somehow insane. it was it
1: was a little bit ahead of its time. In fact, we ended it. Just remember, we ended it with. The hostages being freed in exchange for weapons going to uh, Iran. And everybody thought that was over the top. And then the Iran-Contra thing broke about eight months later. And we were
0: just, look, I if look. to assassins, you can do this, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I, 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 that's how insane I was. I actually thought that.
0: <laughs> oh, see? We're in the same wavelength. I remember I did. I was in a comedy trip and we did. We were writing little musical parodies and we were like, ah, we have a great one. We're going to do it to Chekhov. We're going to make it this big musical comedy thing and we'll do it to the theme song of like the Flintstones. And I was like, how are we going to rhyme with Anton Chekhov, the modern Russian dramatist? And like we were, we, it took us literally, it was like Chekhov, Anton Chekhov. Now I have to go through my head. He's a modern Russian dramatist, worked with Stanislavsky and his comedic point was often missed. It was genius, Warren. And it didn't it was, go. It did not go. And we were like, oh, now I'm thinking about it. Like, you have to rhyme with Arkadina. Like, it was amazing, but amazing, incredibly, it was failed, and nobody picked it up. I still think there's a shot, because who doesn't want to see a big, ripe musical comedy about Anton Chekhov in The Seagull?
1: I, don't, I can't imagine what held it back.
0: I had, um, it's small minds, Warren. Small, small minds. In the box that thinking. That Bastards. It. Damn it. Well, after that, obviously, people know you from SVU, and I just, and for, to me, SVU was always Me Too before Me Too, in a way, yeah, because I yeah. think you're, you were telling stories about, you know, the sexual political climate that we were having before we were able to really talk about it, or we were talking about, but people were actually listening, and for you, uh, could, yeah, sorry, go no, ahead. Go. Go. Go no, go. no, 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 go.
1: No, I feel like it was. it's a major thing, that, and I, I give Mariska a huge amount of credit for it. She kept the conversation, she started the conversation and kept it going when it made people really uncomfortable or people didn't understand that the show was dealing with it. She really, it, the, the, the world caught up to this show in the last few years, but there was a long time where that was really the only place where certain things were discussed. Um, and, you know, I know people people sometimes uh, minimize network TV, but uh, I didn't see anyone else doing stories that made everyone that uncomfortable.
0: Well, it's, it also, I, I was just, I was reading a bunch of pieces and a bunch of studies that were actually, that were done on SVU talking about the positive impact that it's had on, you know, rape culture, education, and demystifying some of these old archaic thoughts about it. And, and more about acceptance and seek and about consent and all those and all those things that we talk about. But I think people didn't really, as I said, you know, really put the thought into it of really what's going on. And I thought, well, that's TV doing good. Obviously, you're you're doing TV to entertain and to be art. But if an amazing byproduct is that people's. Mis- no, I was very proud know, of
1: that. I, I, you know, I, I, think I it's amazing. The- it didn't obviously reach the Senate Judiciary Committee. I guess they didn't watch enough episodes. But I was very proud of that. that yeah. And also, a lot of people, you know, you, when you do a show like that, people come up and talk to you, and they they disclose something that happened to them, or something that they're worried about. Or my daughters are going off to college now. And I I, I sat down and we watched three seasons together because I want, you know, and you suddenly you might a lot of times when you take a, a job, you don't understand. How um, visceral, viscerally the audience experiences these things, and a lot of the SVU audience uh, are survivors themselves or are 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 family members of survivors, and they watch that show through a different prism than maybe I realized when I first started there. And you have the the longer I was there, the more I realized uh, what a responsibility it was to try to discuss the subjects. uh, in, in a way that that was not salacious, in a way that was not exploitative, in a way that was uh, not didactic, so that you don't come off as just a um, an advocacy group, you know. Uh, that gets to, that, that you know. You ha- how do you how do you discuss these things and and write about them and and, and try to sustain drama and and you know um, making people wonder what happens next, and at the same time uh, get people to be aware of Oh, you mean there are states where someone can rape a woman, the woman gets pregnant, and the rapist has the right to sue for visitation and custody?
0: That to that me is. Right. Oh, it's so horrifying. It's absolutely horrifying. And I hope, you know, my fervent hope is that people hear these stories and they hear this and they go, how do we make a change? And that's obviously going to the, going and voting and making your voice heard. But those are such archaic. Misogynistic laws that it's shocking to. Well, it's not shocking actually. I was going to say it's so surprising that they are still in place, but they're. It's not surprising at all. Looking at what it, happened, it's
1: dispiriting, or you know, it, and and I think Mariska led with with her group, Joyful Heart, led this raising of consciousness about all these rape kits that sat unexamined in police
0: stations. They're throwing them the away, country. and some of them are getting. And now
1: yes, they throw. And now she she just did a piece on in, on CNN about that, about the, just throwing them out, and and how. How disrespectful is that, and what does that tell us about uh, how how different agencies view uh, sex crimes? You know, um, so that's it, anyway. Yeah, I I I didn't quite know when I started working there how important the show was to people who were um, were watching it, and and they but to their credit, they let you know pretty quickly. And, they, and when yeah. you make a mistake, you really learn it pretty quickly. So that. Was,
0: <laughs> <laughs> you you learn that audiences, especially now with social media, we're not subtle. We it's
1: No, no. And it's like, you know, uh, well, you know, you're just like, oh, that's uh, I guess that's you just it, well, Twitter. Now you'll get like within seconds, you'll get 400 people calling you a jerk for not realizing that this does not mean that anymore. And you're like, um, huh, I guess we missed that one. <laughs>
0: Speaking of Twitter, which um, your Twitter game is on point, and I hope everyone who's listening checks out your Twitter. You had one of some of my absolute favorite tweets. One I pulled because I just thought it was beautiful it was when Trump actually quoted Law and Order. Do you know which tweet I'm talking about?
1: Uh, yes, I don't think this was one of my more polite tweets.
0: No, it was stop. It was I believe <clears throat> let me get this correctly. Stop fucking talking about Law and Order, you human virus.
1: Yeah, that
0: what you know, is- I
1: have slight regrets about that tweet. Not enough Are you to serious? delete it, but well, well, I feel like I,
0: I, um, I I'm getting a tattooed I, on I, myself. I, 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 I
1: did not go. I did not go high on that tweet.
0: Yeah, I no. You went low. You had a miner's helmet. You spelunked down into the low, and it was delightful. I thought it was like beautiful. I was like, oh, I remember when it first came. I was like, that is a d- glorious tweet. And I was like, I need to bring it up just to give you your mad props for it. I. It was.
1: Oh, sometimes you, I find those short, those short, um, uh, taut tweets that don't use up all the characters are the ones that really cut <laughs> through. You know, as opposed to uh, the the man threading that we see a lot of, you know,
0: I'm not good at the threading. I don't know how to work it. All of a sudden I'm like, this is above my pay grade. I'm like, let me just tweet it. It
1: is mostly a male about 80% of the threads are male, right. Or 90% of the threads are male. And it's, 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 which is
0: interesting. It goes against the stereotype that women are more chatty and more talkative.
1: But but it it goes right into the mansplaining stereotype. It's like yeah. 20, yes. I, I when I, I'm in trouble when I glaze over when it's like twenty three slash out of sixty six.
0: <laughs> like you, sixty six. I'm like I don't have the time. I have to have I'm lunch. Out. I'm out. I got to get some sleep. Well, I was gonna say, speaking of Trump, your next project is Law and Order Hate Crimes, and obviously it's uh, very very. Revel, you know, relevant now. How did that go about? Was it because of everything that's going on? Was it because of Charlottesville? Was it, you know, obviously there's it, there's all these statistics now about hate crimes rising. I think it's 12.5% from 16 to 2017. Anti-Semitism is up 17%. I mean, some of these numbers are staggering when you look at it. They were, There was a big study- and by the that-
1: way, for- I'll just – those numbers, while staggering, don't begin to reflect it because most police departments do not record – a lot of police departments make uh, do not record hate crimes as hate crimes. Why? The the stat keeping – because they don't want a bad rep because – the stat keeping on hate crimes now is about where the stat keeping on sexual assaults was 25 years ago. It's completely up to the individual departments. There are no national standards for it. There's only five or six cities that even have a hate crimes – task force on their uh, in their police departments uh, so that it's it's no one no one has any idea what the actual numbers are Um, and a lot of police like miami reported no hate crimes last year
0: well that's ridiculous
1: now i mean i uh, it's inconceivable but they just uh none report or it says nr none reported they didn't report zero they reported nr so does that mean that that's like the chillest place on earth i don't think so so it, it, it there's so the again like sexual assault in in the 80s uh, there's just a lot of places that don't want to talk about it that think it might be bad for tourism what is who can say what's a hate crime uh, so there's, uh, there's all that I think we can say I, I, I now what's just, a hate I, but, crime yeah more. I mean now you can I I I guess I was looking I was starting to think of what series what kind of series I'd want to do and I was looking for a cool um, you know, streaming series or a small eight-episode thing, and I blundered across an article that um, just ran, I guess, in Harper's by Kathy Dobie. Really good article on the NYPD unit, uh, and I got in touch with her, and and I, I, it, it just got me thinking a lot. I, I thought, well, this is this is a real world here, and it's in New York, and it's part of in real life at, at that time, the Hate Crimes Task Force was part of the Special Victims Unit. And oh, I, I get maybe one good business idea every decade, and I just called <laughs> Dick up and I, I said, I, "I'm sorry, I think I know what, um, what, what would be a very good show. That would be a logical next place."
0: And, and in June, even can though can I think- interrupt you just for one second? Dick is yeah, Dick I'm Wolf. Sorry. I just want everyone to know. Dick yeah,
1: yeah. Dick, Dick Wolf. I'm sorry. I, I, I don't use his I don't use his full name ever. You know, because because uh, you're cool. To, right? <laughs> no, he's uh yes, Dick is Dick Wolf, and he has. Um, every third show on broadcast television now, at the moment, I think is his. he's. Uh, so, uh, but I, I called him, and uh, you know, NBC was on the phone the next day, and it was. They didn't know too much of what I had in mind, but they 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 thought it might be worth looking at. And since then, there's sometimes when you start writing something, you think, God, now that I'm writing about this, I see it everywhere, and you don't know yeah. if it's what they call the or Meinhoff effect, where you become aware of it just because you're focusing on it or is it really more prominent but i I think in this case it's really come to the fore it was there obviously and and charlottesville had gotten me very upset and a lot of things had started going on even even in new york as we we like to pretend we're different here but uh i I feel like a huge
0: rash of anti-semitic crimes in new york against the orthodox community like eight months ago i think that was shocking. i was like
1: and then the last six weeks before Pittsburgh and after Pittsburgh in New York, it's also been a horrible spate of anti-Semitic crimes, um, and they, they go in bunches. And there's a sort of a copycat aspect to some of them. So if there's some gay bashing, that will um, possibly uh, lead to more gay bashing. It's, it's it's pretty bad. And the New York City task force that actually handles it, I, I, I was the more I dug into it, the more impressed I was. They do an exceptional job, and they take it uh, very, very seriously, and they throw enormous resources at it. And it, it's a lot of times when you start to dig into cops or uh, different, when you do that kind of research, you realize it's a job, and the guys are doing their job. But you know, they're not, they're not um, taking it home with them. But these guys uh, I, just are, are singular in their their dedication to it. And it's in uh, in real life, it's a very Mixed unit, a lot of diversity to it because it needs to have it that needs to service. have it. And so all that was more interesting to me. Uh, so somehow inadvertently, while hoping to do a small streaming, you know, <laughs> period piece for for uh, for some <laughs> obscure network that uh, I I I have backed into um, uh, another law and order network. So <laughs>
0: same thing. Just Small, yeah, obscure, little law and well order. Designed
1: my life is. <laughs>
0: so. It's another one of those turns, those little turns that you're like, okay, so I'm not going to do that, I'll do this. Is it, yeah. when you're talking, are you pulling stories directly from the news? Are you getting them from, obviously, the folks you're talking to in New York? I mean, how much of it is politically driven from what you see now? I mean, are we going to see a Trump, I mean, I'm sure everyone's asked you, but is there going to be a Trump-like character you know, who is I, know, spewing I, I this?
1: If you can do it without a Trump-like character, because he's not. Uh, but you. But people. But what you have, I think. And again, uh, I have to be. I, I don't want the show to be preachy or didactic, or to only draw people who, who find uh, Trump abhorrent. Uh, you know. You You, know, you want to reach people who, um, who might, atf- who might not be naturals for for a show like this. You want to. You want. You want as many people as possible to become aware of, of these sorts of crimes and to, in a sense, to get awareness of them, to do, to do to this world or for this world what I think SVU managed over a long period of time to do about sexual assault, which is to get a dialogue going and get people thinking about it and thinking about the laws about it and, uh, and, and what constitutes a hate crime. So, so, no, I don't think I can, it can't be agitprop. Which I, yeah. I have happily written in cabaret form and that kind of thing. This is not that. This, is... and so you, I, I. But I start reading accounts of crimes all over the country. Um, I start. I, I. I talk to advocacy groups. I meet with victims. I meet with defense attorneys. I meet with prosecutors. I meet with retired hate crime cops. I met with the FBI. Uh, I went down to Washington and talked to their. Domestic terrorism group and their civil rights unit. So I just—it's actually a, a period I enjoy a lot, and I haven't always had the chance to do it, which is to just immerse myself. And one meeting leads to another meeting leads to another meeting, and you just try and get a feel. And what you what you learn is a lot of these guys don't even like the term hate crime; they prefer identity crime, because it's it's what it, what it's really about is people being singled out and being victimized because of their racial or religious identity or their sexual orientation, but because not because of anything they've done, but just because of who they are. And that's, it's a horrible crime because, you know, somebody breaks into my car and steals steals my serious XM, my radio or something, or it steals something I left in the backseat. That's a drag. But somebody um, beats me up because I'm Sikh, although they think I'm Muslim. That sent, that's a horrible thing. That's uh, as a, if you're a parent and your kid gets the wild stolen. That's one thing. If you're a parent and your kid gets knocked to the ground and beaten up because he, he's your kid and you're of a certain ethnic group, that, that affects the family in a different way, affects the neighborhood in a different way, affects the community in a different way. It, 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 and what I love about these detectives in New York, they're 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 very straightforward guys, and they they just keep saying to me, different guys all say the same thing. We can't have that here. We just can't have that. This is New York. There's too many people from too many places. We can't have that. And I, I love I like, that. I like,
0: I like the, the, that New York attitude about it.
1: You know, um, so they've done a pretty good job, um, but, but you know, we're having it now. And uh, the Proud Boys showed up on the Upper East Side, and there's all these attacks in in Brooklyn, and there's, there's lots going on, but it's a pretty good unit, and they're pretty focused on... Uh, on you know the bell. As one guy said to me this morning, I was just talking to a guy, uh, retired hate crime detective. He goes, you know, it's a pretty mixed union. We gave each other a hard time all the time, but the bell rung. We were all there, and I just thought, you know, very can do. Sort of yeah. what you would like to think it, things the, wor- the way things work in New York, but don't always do. And it seems like that's the case here.
0: It's sim- it sounds similar to how it is at the agency too. You have sort of a diverse group, and then it's when you have to do something. It's okay. We're just going to do it. We have to do it. It's you have a there's a mission and a cause that's that's greater than everything else, and you realize you have to come together to do something to affect some kind of good change.
1: I would imagine people don't go into that line of work unless they,
0: they
1: they're you know there's a it's you can get another you can be an insurance investigator and yep. it's probably a lot less stressful. You know
0: exactly. Um,
1: so it pulls. It pulls a certain sort. And even within the unit, they'll say a lot of times we get a detective, and we tell them, you know, you're going to be here. You're going to have to be good with all types of people, and they come in and they say that they are. And then after a couple of months, we realize or they realize that maybe they're not good with all types of people, and 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 we say maybe this isn't for you.
0: And but good, but good on those cops for realizing it and and finding the right type of people because to your point that's a type of job that requires a kind of dedication and a perseverance and a strength and a toughness and a single mindedness for, for goodness, that if you don't have that and you're a little bit restless or can't accommodate that, you shouldn't be in that job because you're not going to do, do that job service. And it needs that.
1: I mean, Yeah. And so there's, I mean, there's plenty of places to go at NYTD if you're not, uh, if, if, transgender victims make you uncomfortable, say. There's other places yeah. to go. You don't have to.
0: Do you ever watch the news and just think that everything that's going on in the White House now is like, either you're like, oh, damn, I should have written that in a show. Or I if I would have written that, everybody would have thought I was just full of shit. And people would go, that would never happen.
1: Well, I, I, I wrote that. Uh, eight days after the election, I, there was a 24-hour project. So I wrote one of those one acts, and I had a, a nice diverse. You draw your actors. You get like seven actors. At, uh, there's all the actors' photos are on a table at 11 o'clock at night, and there's like a a fantasy draft, and there's the six playwrights with 30 30 uh, Polaroids of the actors who are available the next day, and you may not have worked with any of them, and so you just draft them, and and inevitably some playwright goes, I only need three, and he walks out, and so. So there's like four people left, five people left, and I think, well, these people volunteered. I can't. They, I'll like to. So i will like so. I took like eight people for my script, and it was midnight, and I didn't know what to do with them because they were a mix of ages and ethnicities, and uh, and I wrote a thing where they'd all been. De- uh, it was and it was right after Trump was elected, so there was this just there was still toxic air in New York from that. And
0: like we're all still took, twitching, uh, and in corners I, I put them
1: all in a prison camp. They'd been rounded up. They were at a protest, and they were rounded up one by one, and being held they didn't know where they were being held they didn't know what was going to happen they didn't know who had rounded them up and they uh and i did this seemingly unlikely or or, uh play about these these seven people in this one horrible guard played really nicely by jason biggs um and just them not knowing what the future is and some of them being peeled off and set against each other and it was a really disturbing play and it played very very well but um, there was a reporter from the New York Times there who was uh, was going to write up about the you know, think that she ever did. and she said, "Well, obviously this is pretty apocalyptic. I mean, you don't really think they're going to be rounding people up and putting them uh, in camps do you? And then I, you I said, sent
0: well, her the article? I said,
1: "I don't know where this is going to go, and you don't either." And she uh, we, we just kind of uh, I, I love the euphemism, We agreed to disagree. Agreed.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, the worst. But uh, you know it, it was it, it seemed way over the top seven days after the election and it's nothing we haven't seen within a year of the election in terms of, you know, I I didn't, I wouldn't have necessarily thought to write kids separated from their moms and put in cages. That would have
0: been really dark.
1: Yeah. You can't, come on Warren.
0: We know you're dark Warren. We know you like to go dark with your stuff, but that's ridiculous.
1: You know, yes. Other guys go blue. I go dark, but generally when you, you can't go wrong underestimating the possibility of, of, um, abuse of power, you know,
0: certainly not now.
1: No, we're in, we're in one of those times. Uh, I'm friends with a, a writer who was blacklisted in the fifties and he's, Ooh. he's, uh, uh, approaching the century mark at the moment. He's a really wonderful guy and Walter Bernstein. And, you know, so he survived the depression, world war two and the blacklist, uh, and I was talking to him about this, and he goes, "I hate to tell you this, kiddo. First of all, nobody calls me kiddo anymore, so I'm already." I love it when people to...
0: call me kiddo. It's like you such know. a compliment. I'm like, you can keep calling me kiddo,
1: okay? Was, so Walter, you know, he's. He said, I hate to tell you this, kiddo, but it's going to have to get worse before it gets better.
0: Jesus, and how I, much worse? I,
1: I thought he would know, but he, you know, he's been around long enough. He also says this is, to his mind, a far worse time than the blacklist, because it's an. He perceives it as an all-out assault on every element of, you know, whether it's housing, education, environment. So at the blacklist, they, you know, it was horrible, but they were just going after guys like us. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't systemic, Everything. nationwide yeah. and systemic. It was targeted, targeted harassment. But he said, "This is just, uh, you know, this is uh, on a na- nationwide dark cloud." So that's wow. the experience of somebody who's lived through. Uh, Soul forging experience decades. You know. Well. So how's that for a cheery thought?
0: I was going to say we're not to just to perk it up just a little bit before we go. We have yeah. just a couple more minutes. Um, I'm so, just curious, totally apropos of nothing. Who are you blocked by on Twitter? Like, have you been blocked by some good people?
1: Oh, you know, um, yeah. Some like of them are those, uh, the, those, the, the, some alt right guys for some reason. I don't know. And then there's a, there's. The, the, I would. I think though the large number of people who block me on Twitter are Chris Maloney fans who believe that I'm responsible <laughs> for Chris leaving the show because. Uh, so I, Chris was negotiating his new contract. I, will, by the way, I like Chris a lot. But he was negotiating his new contract, uh, and and he and the network and Dick Wolf got into a um, a three-way pissing contest that ended with Chris leaving the show. And the next day, I came in as the new showrunner, and um, somehow. Uh, although Chris was gone, and I had nothing to do with it, nobody really <laughs> explained anything to the. Uh, anyway, it, it became like my. It was just became this thing that I could not. Nothing I did could convince a certain segment of that <laughs> fan base that I, I. I had murdered, the you know
0: um, favorite character. Um,
1: yeah, Jesus, I guess you know, and um, and and I killed the relationship, and uh, so and I didn't understand how invested people were. In the the uh, Benson Stabler ship, you know, the, the uh, you know the, the the whole shipping thing. Yeah. I had maybe not understood that. So <laughs> probably the greatest percentage of people who have blocked me are not political, but they're they're Stabler fans.
0: Oh well, that's and, exciting. <laughs> You've got some diversity uh, in your blocks.
1: That's yeah, good. yeah. I I mostly, and I don't know if this is the right approach. I mute people more than block
0: them. Really.
1: Yeah, wow. that's risky because they can still read your tweets you can still and, read your and, shit, but they can't, but I don't hear from them. So I imagine them writing really nasty, shitty things to me uh, uh, and taking their time doing that and not realizing that I don't see them.
0: Well, so I feel you like gave, I'm,
1: I'm sorry. you know, I'm taking up some of their time that might be used uh, the, more productively to attack somebody who, whose feelings they could hurt, but I don't see what they write. So it, it has no effect, um, hmm. On me, and it's I'm, so I feel like I'm I'm contributing to their uh, to they're wasting their time, and I don't know about it, and it seems fine. But well, uh, you gave me
0: good uh, advice once, Warren. I was like gonna clap back at somebody. I probably did because that's just how I am. I'm like, oh, you're gonna tell me this? I'll tell you something, and you're like, go easy. You're like, take it, but down a notch, Chachi. It's not worth your time. I'm like, but, but, but it is, and you're like, it, it really is, not and it was very sage advice. The mistake moment. all the time. Well, then it, I saw. It, it just, yeah, two days later, you back. You're a you little vulnerable,
1: back. and you see something, and you go, "Oh, oh, yeah." Well, what about this, this, and this? And then you click, and the guy has two followers, and and you know, like, why did I do that?
0: Well, and I'll and, go back like, and find like find like a like some kind of study or some kind of like real news, and I'll be like, and then look at this and this, and I'm like, who am I fighting with? I'm I'm literally trying to be right for somebody who just told me, you know, screw off. So it doesn't really matter, but that's the same. So I just want to say it was good advice. I don't take it all the time, but it was very good advice.
1: I don't take my own advice all the time, but I do, I love when they say, can you show me anything about this? And it's like, read an article, but then you dutifully show, and then you go to their timeline and their timeline is filled with the most horrible lies so, and deception and fake news. And you're like, Oh, you're, you're
0: just, you're just, just trolling me, aren't you? Yeah. You just wanted me to go through all that work. Well, um, We have like two more minutes, and so I'm going to wrap up, but I want to ask you to do me one favor. Um, Do you ever still talk to Ice-T?
1: Whenever I see him, I couldn't be happier. I see him from time to time. I run into him. Is there a message for ICE?
0: Yes, there is. He has no idea how he affected my childhood. When I was young, he came to St. Louis, where I'm from, and was doing PR for and doing like a junket for New Jack City. So way back in the day, and my mom was actually taking him around for his interviews. And I was like, Oh my god, give me! Oh great, she
1: was the book tour lady or something. Yeah, (laughs) she
0: basically she was working for like the promo people in St. Louis, and she like loved meeting celebrities. And back in the day. The junkets were different. They would actually take them, you know, to the different markets. And, you know, she met like Steven Seagal and she was like, oh, this is so exciting. I'm like, not so exciting. No, is it Mr. <laughs> Rush over there? You're going to keep bragging about that one. So Ice-T came in first. he was like beyond lovely. And I was, I just wanted an autograph. That's all I wanted. So my mom was like, oh, can you get him an autograph for my daughter? And he said, I'm going to do something better. I'm going to give her her rap name. And he, he, my mom said, oh, okay. You know, her name's Emily. and goes, for now on, let's call her Sweet E. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. He wrote it down in my little, like, autograph book. I brought it to school, and I was so aggressively, like, awkward in school that it was, like, for two seconds, I had, like, currency. For two seconds, I was so cool. I'm like, well, do you all have a cool name from Ice-T? So I will forever be grateful for my two minutes of feeling cool during my incredibly awkward adolescence. So please thank him for me.
1: I will thank him. He won't have any uh, specific memory of the event.
0: No, he'll have absolutely none.
1: But uh, yeah, that's a nice story. That story could have gone a hundred places. So that that was a good place that it went. I'm very happy to hear that story.
0: Isn't that I should have told it in the beginning so you could have called me sweet E throughout this entire chat. It would have been amazing.
1: I'll be calling you that.
0: Please going do. Forward, though. I'm gonna change my name to that as well. By the
1: yeah. way, if your yeah. name is Warren, you don't have a cool name even from ICE. You
0: know? No, you, you really don't. You're you're kinda of screwed. You're just kind of your name is fantastic, but there's no real good, like cool rap name for it.
1: There's but now nothing, I'm gonna work on nothing. it. There's nothing. It's just, it is, as they say in cop dramas, it is what it is.
0: Wait a minute. This is going to be a challenge. So if, if anybody's, for everybody who's listening, if you can think of a really cool, you know, alt name or a cool name, I shouldn't say alt, ooh, take that back. Any kind of cool name for Warren, please tweet it, at Warren and I, because I'm really curious what um, everyone's creativity will come up with. So I'm taking it as a personal challenge.
1: I'm holding my breath.
0: Please. Well, Warren, thank you so, 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 so much for for joining me, and I was so excited to get to chat with you about all of this good, fun stuff and slightly dark stuff as well. And I just want to say thank you, and I okay. want to just tell everybody that if. You want to visit deepstateradionetwork.com and you can support all the work that we're doing here by becoming a member. Members receive early access to all the podcasts, one-on-one newsmaker interviews, discounts on Deep State Radio swag because it's the holiday season. You can get fleeces and hoodies and mugs and all kinds of cool stuff. You get the daily newsletter and through the end of the year, which is my absolute favorite favorite part, is Deep State Radio is donating 10% of all the proceeds to the Malala Fund and the International Relief Fund. So you can give the gift of Deep State Radio membership and you can follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. And Warren, can you give out your Twitter handle so folks can follow sure, you? There although too?
1: As you speak, I'm now follow, I'm clicking follow on Deep State Radio, just so, at Deep State Radio. I just clicked on that. And I see there's deep state radio nerds too. I don't know what that is.
0: They're like the. I, well, I'm a nerd, but it's all all of us who are really into all the kind of deep state nonsense that's going on and talking about politics and all the all the crazy
1: all the crazy. So it's stuff. a subset of the deep state. Exactly. Mine is um I, I cleverly named it uh, at Warren Light L E I G H hmm.
0: D T Z. How did you um, think of that?
1: Well, that's part of my job as a creative person to just, well, you, you know, okay. you just, if you center yourself, it comes, things like that, just, they come to you uh, and you just, it's a, a moment, you feel blessed when they do, yeah. you do, you
0: write it down in the middle of the night when it comes to you and you have the perfect moment. Well,
1: I actually think the PR person at FX network told me to do that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's it's good advice. <laughs>
1: It's even worse. The story, the Genesis story is even worse.
0: We're going to, we'll have to change that in post. Um, Well, thank you again. And you can, oh, also, if you want to follow me, I'm at CIA Spy Girl. I'd love to hear what you thought about today's podcast. And if you have questions or comments, feel free to tweet them at me, especially if they're nice. If they're not so nice, you don't have to tweet me. But thank you again for everybody for listening up. And I look forward to bringing you and uh, another podcast next week. Bye-bye.